Welcome to the Sunday Morning Podcast from Kingdom Faith Church in Horsham. This message is by Colin Squires. Who wants to see every prayer that we pray answered? Who wants to see God's kingdom impacting our life and the lives of those around us? Who wants to see sin and its attractiveness just fall away? Who wants to see the things of God just just grow and burst forth in our lives? Who wants to give up eating? Was that a tumbleweed I heard? Funny, isn't it? Fast food, ready meals, hello fresh, naught to tasty in 70 seconds, pot noodles, instant noodles, microwave meals, on demand, deliveroo. We are so used to having every whim catered for, aren't we, when it comes to our stomachs? We've got three meals a day, praise God. We've got snacks in our, in our anyone got a desk drawer at work that's just a snack drawer? Anyone? Not just, just me? Snack basket for me. We are currently constantly bombarded with eat this, try that, buy my book, cook this, this will make you healthier. We're constantly, as a society, bombarded with food. And do you know what? I'm not going to (laughs) complain. I love it. I'm a bit of a foodie. I love it. But what if, what if ignoring the demands of our stomach for a while And fasting, giving up food, was exactly the key to becoming more like Jesus. To seeing all those things I said about, all those questions I asked, what if the key was fasting? That hearing him clear, that greater joy, that deeper knowledge of Jesus. What if it was the key? Please don't say it's the key. (laughs) But what if? That is what we're going to investigate a bit today. We as a church have got this next week, something tomorrow, of prayer and fasting. And we want to ask the question, what is fasting? Who is it for? When do we do it? Why do we do it? And uh, we're going to go on a bit of a journey of of looking at at fasting. I know it's not everyone's favourite topic, but hopefully my, my prayer is today that today something will change in us. That excitement will be built and we go, God... I want more of you. I want this. If this is part of what you're calling me into, I want to step into it because I'm so excited for what I will see through it. Now, for those who don't know me, by the way, my name's Colin with my wife, Kate. We we lead the Horsham congregation uh, here. If you've been a guest with us over August, um, we've been at the movies. It's great to have you with us. And I want to invite you, even if this morning is your first time on this journey, don't think, nobody please think, oh, this is for the holy people. You know, I'm just a beginner Christian, fasting, that's for the experts. Or, oh, King of Faith Horsham or King of Faith Church, they're fasting, but I'm a guest, so I, I'm not going to take part yet. I want to invite you to just, let's hear what God want, might want to say to us this morning. So let's just pray. Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would speak to us this morning. Stir us up, envision us, excite us for the things of God. Lord, I pray that every one of my words would fall to the ground, but Jesus, you would speak this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In 1909, Marion Wallace Dunlop was arrested outside the House of Commons 
for stenciling a passage from the Bill of Rights on its walls. The words were this. It is the right of every subject to petition the king, and all commitments and prosecutions for such petitions are illegal. Dunlop was a suffragette who was campaigning for women's enfranchisement, for the right of women to vote. Uh, But as she was just writing this this, uh, statement on the wall, basically saying to the government, I should be allowed to petition you for the rights of women to vote. Uh, In saying this, in the Bill of Rights, she was arrested um, uh, for vandalism and thrown into prison on the 2nd of July, taken to Holloway Prison. And it was here that she commenced her first hunger strike. No one had told her to do it. No one had really done it before. But it was here in prison that she refused to eat or drink for 91 hours in order to say with her body what her words could not. I will not submit. This is not right. And to declare that something needed to change. Now, I want us all to hear this very clearly. Fasting is not a hunger strike, certainly not against God. Now, you might be thinking, oh, I I knew that already, but I wish someone had told me this when I first became a Christian. I'd been saved a little over a year. Um, God had radically transformed my life. And uh, one of my friends who had been sort of instrumental in in, in my early discipleship and encouraging me in worship and and to get to know God better, uh, she started to backslide. She made some not brilliant decisions in her relationships and how she was going to spend her time, what she was going to be doing. And she started to fall away from the Lord. And uh, my heart was breaking for her. God, I want to see her know you again and come back to you. And so uh, I, I prayed with a friend of mine and I said, I, I think it's, it's right that we pray and fast. And he said, oh, yeah, if God's saying that to you, great, go for it. And so I went on a hunger strike <laughs> to God. For the next three days, I didn't eat or drink anything other than each night having a tiny morsel of bread and a mouthful of very weak Ribena as I took communion and prayed for this, this friend. Other than that, no food or drink for three days. Didn't pray a whole lot more. Um, but I was basically saying to God, God, I'm not going to eat or drink until you do something about this situation. Don't you know how much I care about it? And uh, I was basically thinking, right, this will really twist God's arm. Because, uh, you know, if I die, it's his fault. <laughs> By day three, funnily enough, I wasn't feeling particularly great. Turns out three days without water can kill you. And, uh, and I called this Christian friend that I prayed with, and I said, I'm starting to feel very, very unwell and uh, not really so good. And maybe, should I, do you think I should eat something? And he said, yeah, you probably should. And so I said, okay, thanks. And this, suddenly this thought of I should eat something clicked a switch in me. And suddenly I was ravenous. I was like not really feeling hungry for three days because I was focused on what I was doing. But suddenly I was like, I need something to eat. Ran to the fridge, threw the door open, grabbed the first thing I saw, which happened to be a massive block of cheddar cheese. And I just ate like this. Mm. I don't know if you've ever tried to eat a block of cheese like a sandwich. It's not the easiest thing to do at the best of times. When you've starved yourself of water for three days and have no saliva, it just becomes this giant chunk of like molasses that just click. You think, you think that uh, you know, a peanut butter sandwich is bad. Try just eating a block of cheddar. And it went nowhere. I swallowed 
And it kind of did this, you know, like in those cartoons, Tom and Jerry, and he like swallows something, and you see the shape of it go sideways down through his esophagus. That was me. This lump of cheese, and like peristalsis in my throat is giving everything it's got. Come on, get down there. And I basically pulled all the muscles in my throat, and I swallowed this block of cheese, which also made me quite ill. And I couldn't eat for about another three days. <laughs> I had to just basically eat soup and drink water, and my throat was so painful. That is not how to do fasting. <laughs> um, bad idea. Please, 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 don't, don't go without drinking for three days. Really, really terrible idea. Speaking of which, would someone mind bringing me my water? That would be really helpful. Thank you. Um, just remind myself of what it's like going three days. Thanks, Wayne. This is obviously not the way to do fasting. Now, thank you, Jesus, for your grace that I didn't die. But in fasting, we're not trying to twist God's arm. He cares more about the situations that we're praying for than we do. He's more loving and compassionate and caring than we are. We're not trying to earn something from him. We are allowing our whole bodies to agree with what he is already doing and saying. Let's explore that a little bit more. Excuse me. Now, in the Old Testament... Fasting is often linked with um, times of grief and grieving. Culturally, there was this sense of if you'd suffered loss, uh, then how could you possibly enjoy anything? Would that not, if you'd, you'd lost a loved one, for example, you had no right to enjoy something while you were grieving them. Just to do so would lessen that, how much you loved them. And it was, it was quite a cultural thing, this, this picture of fasting. It also brought people back to God. But the picture was often one of grief, of sackcloth and ashes and fasting. However, in the New Testament, something changed. And though the Bible doesn't say this explicitly, I want to communicate that I believe fasting of the New Testament really is about joy. Because it's about union with God. It is about, it's always listed in the New Testament alongside prayer and often worship. It's something that, that enables our whole body, it's a way of our whole selves, spirit and body to be submitted to God in a fresh way. Fasting, at its most fundamental, is going without food for a time to give yourself more time with God. It's stopping doing one thing, eating, to do another, prayer or reading the Bible or worship, whatever it might be. Now, lots of people, myself included, we interchange the word fasting really with abstinence. We'll talk about a media fast um, or we'll talk about um, I'm going to fast chocolate or wine or something like that. Um, I'm going to do a face, Facebook detox. All of those kind of things are brilliant. In fact, I have found some of the most spiritually beneficial things I've ever done to be media fasts. They are excellent, really, really important ways for us to, to do that, to set more time aside for God. But they're not in themselves truly what fasting is. When we talk about fasting in the Bible, fasting is abstinence, yes, but of food specifically. Um, I love Pastor Helena. She's, uh, she's the, one of the pastors at Kingdom Faith Church in London. Said, I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing slightly because I couldn't quite remember her exact quote, but at a conference she said this. I thought it was brilliant. It is amazing how Christians can come up with a thousand different ways to fast that still include eating. <laughs> It's funny, isn't it, that we're happy to give God, God, take my time, take my finances, you know, take all that I am, take everything, but please don't, don't take my Sunday lunch. <laughs> you know? 
And it's also funny how we're happy to abstain from the things that we know we probably should be having less of anyway. Caffeine, chocolate, wine, Facebook, Netflix. God, yes, I'm going to be very holy and fast these things. Um, well, we probably should just be doing less of them anyway. Uh, if there's any conviction in here, by the way, the, the, you know, one finger's pointed at you, all the three are pointed back at me, so it's okay, don't worry. Um, but fasting is really about abstinence from eating specifically. So if you've, been, you've had a sense of God speaking to you about fasting from media or something like that, brilliant, I want to encourage you to do that. Please don't not do that because of this message. That is brilliant. But I would encourage you to do it alongside some food fasting. We'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more. So, yeah, sorry, do it alongside food fasting. John Mark Homer, Christian author and pastor, put it this way. Fasting is a way of saying yes to Jesus' work in us, not through our intellect, but through our stomach. It's, uh, it's something that is a little bit alien to us in the West. Um, we'll talk about this a little bit later on, but with this dualistic view that we can be impacted by that we've got mind over here or spirit over here and then body over here. And the two things are very separate. Uh, one is holy and eternal and one is temporary and evil. But that's not the theology of the Bible. Our bodies are to express something of the goodness of God too. Again, we'll come back to this in more detail. If we look back at the suffragettes, it was said of them that hunger strikes made their starving bodies a form of speech that could breach prison walls. Now, we've already established fasting is not a hunger strike. However, I think there is something to be said here of the the picture of this speaking with our body, not against God, a hunger strike against God, but against our flesh, it nevertheless, it, this says something, this, this fasting, this giving up food, it is a similar means of rebellion, not against the rule of a repressive government, but against the rule of our flesh. It says, you are not in charge of me. All that I am, body, soul, and spirit, is submitted to God. In, a, in, in fasting, we could say maybe we're hunger striking against the ruler of this world, The devil was saying, no, I refuse to be submitted to the desires of my flesh. I choose to be submitted to God. Now, the word flesh in the Bible is used to describe our selfish, sinful nature. Now, of course, looking after our bodies is vitally important. It's a temple of the Holy Spirit. Uh, We're supposed to feed it well, clothe it, look after it, exercise. We're supposed to listen to those, uh, those voices that say, I'm thirsty, I need a drink. Excuse me. Those are supposed to be heard and listened to. However, there's a difference between honouring our bodies in those ways and being ruled by those urges. Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 9.27 puts it this way, But I discipline my body to keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. He's like, no, I need to keep this under control, not be ruled by my body, but my spirit ruling over it. Pious Jews from way before uh, we read about the the time of Jesus, they would commonly fast two days a week, each week, usually Mondays and Thursdays. We actually read about this in one of Jesus' parables where he's exemplifying someone who thought of themselves as holy and said, but I fast two days a week, I give all my tithes, all that kind of thing. It was commonly known and understood. Pious Jews will fast two days a week. That's just kind of standard. For over a millennium and a half, up until around the time of the Enlightenment, Early Christians did the same thing. It was completely normal for a Christian 
and expected even to fast two days a week, usually on um, Wednesdays and Fridays from morning until night. This was an integral part of the early church community. Even at Lent, which we still talk about and we still you know, celebrate to different degrees and different denominations within the church, was much more a, a fast time like Ramadan that Muslims still honor now, where for 40 days, Christians wouldn't eat anything from morning until nighttime, 40 days a year, every year. It was a relatively short time ago in the 1700s that John Wesley, the great revivalist and the, the founder of the Methodist movement, said this. Are you Guys, are you ready for this one? This one's a doozy. Are you ready? I fear there are now thousands of Methodists, so-called, both in England and Ireland, who following the same bad example, have entirely left off fasting, who are so far from fasting twice a week that they do not fast even twice in the month. Anyone, anyone here? Ouch! Those revivalists really know where to stick it where it hurts, don't they? <laughs> he even went on to say, the man who never fasts is no more in the way to heaven than the man who never prays. Ouch. Is anyone getting any conviction from the Holy Spirit here? <laughs> just, just me. Now, there is no condemnation. There is no legalism. God will not love you anymore if you fast. He cannot possibly love you anymore because his love is based in his goodness, not our performance. So there is no condemnation here. If you walk out of here and go, I'm fasting twice a week, God bless you, love you, that's absolutely fine. No problems. But say at the same time, I am fasting twice a week, but Holy Spirit, show me what you do want me to do. Be open. It is my prayer that you, like me, upon hearing these words, are not condemned, but encouraged, inspired, and find a burning conviction to seek God afresh. My soul is crying out for a greater, more real, more immediate, more tangible, and readily expressed experience and knowledge of God. I need it. I need reality. If all of this is just for show or is just this thin, I can't be doing with it. I'm not bothered. I need to see the reality of the living God and his very present power in my life. Or what's the point? And if that means a bit of fasting, then God, kill my flesh. God, if it's not you, what's the point? Forgive me where I've not had that attitude. Matthew 6 Jesus teaches the disciples how to pray. He says, when you pray, and then he goes on to teach them the Lord's Prayer, which we, we all know, I, I should think. The very next paragraph, he then goes on to say, when you fast. These two things follow right on. We all know, oh yeah, if you're a Christian, yeah, you have to pray. But then he goes on, when you fast. Not if, but, but when you fast. And this, I know as a church, we do this a couple of times a year and all that kind of thing. It's great. But I believe there's something that God is saying. There's a key here to unlock something both in your lives as a church and in this town that is going to come through prayer and fasting. Um, and again, no condemnation. This is not a message of condemnation or, or religious thou shalt or thou must. Not at all. If, if it comes across that way, I sincerely apologize. That's not the Holy Spirit. That's me because that's not, I believe, what God wants to say. We're going to take a little aside here, by the way. I just think this is really interesting. 
as well as all the spiritual aspects, which is what fasting is really about, fasting has physical properties. It has physical effects upon us. Now, obviously, if you don't eat, you tend to, yes, lose weight. But also, people who fast tend to experience, and many of us, if, you, if you've been fasting before, you tend to experience a greater sense of clarity, mental clarity, and alertness in the day. You tend to be more um, kind of consistent, not up and down, and mood swings, and things like that. Uh, sleep often is improved. You get more productivity. Um, but there are lots of diets that can offer also weight loss. A lot of fad diets that say, do this and you'll lose loads of weight. Some of them, I won't mention by any names, but can be very dangerous. They can increase your cholesterol, so your weight goes down, but your likelihood of heart disease and all these other kind of things goes way up. They're really not good for us. In 2012, Michael Mosley, uh, Dr. Michael Mosley, a BBC broadcaster and journalist and ex-GP, made a documentary about the effects of fasting on the body. Not in a religious sense, though that was mentioned at times, um, but just who fasts and what does it do to people? And they were interviewing lots of experts and people in this field who'd been doing research. Uh, and they found that people, on average, who fasted regularly lived longer and healthier lives. Uh, they went on to see that this seemed to be directly linked to one of the physiological effects of fasting, which is to decrease the production of a growth hormone called insulin-like growth factor 1, a protein that's created in, made in the liver, which if we could kind of put it in this, this kind of picture, if our body was a car, IGF-1 is like maybe the, the, the nitrous oxide, for those of you into like your, your fast and your furious, you know, that extra boost that, of, that just makes your car go a thousand miles an hour, you know, like the back of your seats and your face pull back like this. It's this get everything working, go, 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 go kind of hormone in our bodies, in our metabolism. But it's not good to drive your car at a thousand miles an hour all the time. But our diets these days basically do that. It's just such high calories that we produce this hormone all the time. But when we fast, this documentary was showing that this, this uh, hormone was produced less and our bodies go into a kind of repair mode. They start to cut out junk and detoxify and all that kind of thing. And, uh, and there's even some cutting-edge science that seems to show that fasting can increase the uh, amount of an embryonic stem cell-like substance in the body that helps repair the body. Now, a lot more research needs to be done into this. But what did they find? So basically, fasting is very good for you. That's the end. <laughs> Physiologically, in your body, it is very good for you. But what did the research show when they went through this and found different ways of fasting? What seemed to be the most effective at making you healthy? Fasting two days a week. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? Now, I'm not saying that fasting, we should do it as a weight loss program or a fad diet. Obviously not. But I just think it's so interesting that when we as Christians live in the kind of rhythms set out in the Bible, the rhythms that Jesus established and says for us, when you fast, the byproduct of living the way that he calls us to is health and longevity. Now, if you heard that and you think, Oh, do you know what? Maybe I could start losing some weight through fasting. Do you know what? Brilliant. I'm going to take that. Go for it. Why not, though, even better, add some of the God bit to that fasting and make it even more worthwhile? Yeah. It's worthwhile either way. But let's do it the way that Jesus invites us to do it. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, despite what the Bible and, as we've seen, modern science says, most of us, and of course the world, 
we tend not to really follow the principles of fasting, even though the church for hundreds upon hundreds of years, this was just part of, if you're a Christian, it kind of goes without saying you fast. We tend not to really do that. But in one sense, this worldliness of, of being consumed by our appetites and, and this hedonism and, and sensualism of, I just want it, I want the next flavor, I want the next thing, give me more, giant portions, all that kind of thing, is nothing new. The Apostle Paul, um, was when he was writing his letter to the Corinthian church, said this. Or he said, you say this, you Corinthian Christians. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. You say, I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. Now, he's talking, he uses this in the context of talking about sexual immorality. And we've talked about this in, in a, about a year ago in our uh, series, uh, A Culture of Grace, using these same verses. But nevertheless, this slogan in Corinth of the food for the body, for the stomach and the stomach for food was a really common slogan of the day. Um, and it basically meant, hey, I'm hungry and that looks tasty, so I'll eat it. Now, Corinth was about 50 miles or so south of Athens, where the, uh, the philosophy of Plato um, was still just really, really strong. Um, and Plato basically preached this idea of dualism, that there is a spiritual world uh, that is good and eternal, and there is a physical world that is evil and, and temporary. And, uh, and this, this Platonism was influencing the, the Corinthian church. Now, it does still influence us today, and actually a lot of Christianity today, but it's not the theology of the Bible. This idea that well, it doesn't matter what you do with your body, you can feed it with whatever you like because it's just the body. The important part, the, the everlasting eternal part, the bit that God's interested in is my spirit or my, or my soul. By the way, also, Plato's idea of soul was not the biblical idea. It was sort of an inner essence rather than a, a whole uh, holistic view of self in, in God. Um, but nevertheless, this idea of do what I want with my body because it's not the important part. It's just sort of like a flesh robot being driven by the, the, uh, the soul that's somewhere inside here or here or wherever it might be. That's not what the Bible talks about. And Paul goes on to explain this. Um, he says, oh, by the way, Plato said, the, he put it this way, the body is the prison house of the soul. But Paul says, no, that's not right. Eating whatever you like and just doing whatever you like with your body, this is not God's best. He says, the body, however, is not meant for, and he talks about sexual immorality here, but the important part is meant for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Not food for the stomach, stomach for food, but the body for the Lord, the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will also raise us too. I think some of us need to hear this as well. When we die one day, the resurrection is not a bodiless spirit in heaven sometime. The Bible talks about a new body. And Jesus talks about it it's sort of like being a new form, like a seed goes into the ground and dies. But it's still our body. And I think some of you need to hear, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Amen. Not just your inner self, but your body Amen. is beautiful, Amen. is God-given, yeah. is a gift, yeah. is, is, is something to be honoured and treasured. And some be thankful for. And those lies the enemy of you're not enough, you're not worthy, you're ugly, you're not this, you're not tall enough, short enough, fat enough, thin enough, whatever it might be. That is a lie. Yeah. And your body, God thinks, is so good that he's going to give you a new one in the same sort of manner for eternity. Jesus had a new body. Yeah, it could walk through walls and do other superpower stuff. It was pretty cool. But he ate. He was touched. He was felt. 
They recognized him as Jesus, maybe a little different somehow, but Jesus. Our bodies are important. He goes on to say this, Paul says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? And then this in verse 19, do you not know that, not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Honor God with your souls? No. Honor God with your spirit? No. I mean, yes. But honor God with your bodies. If our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, what is the temple? The temple in the Old Testament was the place where heaven and earth overlapped. It was the fullness of God's presence in a physical place. So much so that if you walked in unawares, you would die immediately just because of the sheer overwhelming power of God's presence. The temple was where God was intended his rule to be established on the earth and through and from. In the New Testament, our bodies, you and me, us, our physical bodies as well, not our souls or our spirits, our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. And that same picture is true. The temple was supposed to be a little picture of God's throne in heaven. Now God's picture of, thro- God's picture of his throne in heaven is you and me. I mean, isn't that mind-blowing? Like his seat of authority in the world is in me. When I walk into a room, I now am meant to be the one who spreads God's rule of his loving rule and reign of his kingdom into every place I go and every person I meet. In my body. This, the flesh and blood bit, carries physically God and his Holy Spirit. That's amazing, right? Not bricks and mortar anymore. Flesh and blood, God has chosen to come and dwell in. So honour God with your bodies. Not just your mind, not just your mouth, not just your theology, but your bodies. Our culture is moving more and more towards hedonism and, and sensuality. The Holy Spirit goes against the grain. He's leading us the opposite direction. Saying holiness means set apart. Don't be like them. It's interesting, by the way, that the the word holy, uh, hagios in the New Testament, um, theologically means set apart. But the word itself just means different. One of the translations that maybe most aptly describes it is weird. (laughs) We're called to be a holy people. It means we're called to be weird. The things we do are weird. You mean you don't eat like for a week when you're praying with your church? That looks weird. You mean you'd like you stand in, the, in you know in a dark room, lift your hands and you shout unto Jesus? That looks weird. It's okay, we're called to weird. We're supposed to look weird because we're supposed to look different. We are called to be set apart, not like everyone else. So how do we as a culture? As, as a body, as a community of faith? How do we swim against the current of hedonism and move back towards a God-centered desire for holiness? Maybe one way is fasting. So why fast? This was a massive preamble, right? <laughs> We're now, why do we fast then? Answer the question, Colin. Firstly, to starve the flesh and feed the spirit. Now, we starve our flesh, as we mentioned, the biblical word meaning selfishness and our our sinful nature. But also, we literally are starving our flesh. It's like our crucifying our desires. 
Those things that we need or we think we need in any given time, we say, God, I'm putting that aside and I want to say, what do you have need of me for right now? Fasting is a way to both cultivate and utilize one of the gifts of the Spirit, or fruits of the Spirit, I should say, sorry, self-control. It grows it in us, but it also is in the grace of the Holy Spirit. His self-control in us, manifested in us, is what enables us to, to do this, to be obedient to what God calls us to. Now, if you're lacking in this area, in self-control, in any area, maybe there's a habit that you just know you need to break, whatever that might be, whether it's smoking or whether it's maybe a bit of um, uh, binge-watching Netflix and you know you shouldn't watch another episode, but you keep giving in and then regretting it and going to bed late or whatever it might be. Maybe it's a bit of overeating or maybe it's comfort eating or whatever it might be. If there's an air in your life where you know, I'm just lacking a bit of self-control. I want to encourage you over this week to really take this fast as an opportunity to see something change, as the Holy Spirit just causes this fruit to, to be revealed and manifested. Thomas Akempis, who's a 15th century Catholic minister and author of The Imitation of Christ, an amazing devotional that's been probably one of the most influential devotionals in the last couple of thousand years. Um, he wrote this, Restrain from gluttony, and thou shalt the more easily restrain all the inclinations of the, fe- of the, of the flesh. In the context, he's talking about fasting. And I think it's interesting that both when the devil tempted Eve in the garden and when he tempted Jesus in the wilderness, both times involved food. And interesting that the Bible says when Eve saw the fruit was good for eating, there was something linked between, and there is something biblically linked between this relationship of a level of self-discipline with food and with sin. So this opportunity to fast is an opportunity to say, God, I want to see something of, of this bad habit, of this inability of self-control, or want to, in a greater way to see it change, broken, become more like you. We don't want to be like Eve who went, yeah, that looks good, I'll take a bite. But be like Jesus who said, no, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Fasting then is also linked to humility. A couple of times in the Old Testament, but specifically Psalm 69 verse 10, uh, David wrote, I wept and humbled my soul with fasting. God opposes the proud. He has to, because if he didn't, everything would go horribly wrong for us. If he's just like, yeah, pride, we can just, we can just let that one slide, carry on, we would end up in just destruction. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. God doesn't want to see us destroyed, so he's like, no, I can't let that one slide, I'm afraid. But he gives grace to the humble. If you found a sense of a distance from God, fasting can be the breakthrough that changes it and turns it around. Fasting is a time to get right with God. In 1 Samuel 7, 6, it says, When they had assembled at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. On that day, they fasted, and there they confessed, We have sinned against the Lord. A time of fasting is often a time to repent, change direction. It's often a time where I find when I'm fasting, I recognize, actually, the sinfulness of my, of my flesh. I go, okay, I can't eat, I'll do this, I'll do that, I'll find something else. God, just, I want to find something else to satisfy me. Oh, you're calling me to come and find my satisfaction in you. No, I don't want to do that. I want to find some, I'm hungry, I want to get my mind off of it. I'll watch the Food Network. You know, <laughs> it makes me aware of actually my need for God, but how much sometimes I recognize I don't really want more of God, which makes me go, oh, it's a good thing I'm fasting because God, you need to do a work in me.
2 Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will hear their land. Fasting brings life to our spirits. Jesus quoted Deuteronomy uh, to Satan when he was tempted in the wilderness. As I said, man does not live by bread alone. As, as uh, Paul Guthridge always used to say, he needs a good curry to dip it in. No, that's not what he said. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The, then Jesus said in John 6, the spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. Jesus himself called himself the bread of God, the bread of heaven, the bread of life. Making this time to stop feeding our stomachs and feeding our spirits on Jesus, the person of Jesus, the words of Jesus. They build us up in the same way that if you want to get like, you know, big and strong. I think I saw Joel earlier, you know, like if you've got to eat a lot of chicken breast, you know, you've got to work out. You've got to feed those muscles. We're doing the same in our spirit. I find personally that when I fast, I find less of a desire for other things to fulfill me. Less of a desire for junk food, especially if I think, well, I've not eaten for the last couple of days, and now I can. Why would I eat junk food? I'd ruin all that good work. You know, it changes my mindset. Less of a desire for Netflix or YouTube or whatever. I find I hear God more clearly. My desire for sin doesn't go away, but it goes way down. And my desire for God goes way up. At the same time, as I said, my awareness of sin tends to increase. And God, deal with it at the time. It's great. I also notice an increase in thankfulness, even for the little things. I mean, especially if you're not eating for a while, suddenly you're like, oh my goodness, cup of soup is the most... If you've not eaten for a while, you have a cup of soup, cup of soup, you use it, oh, what is that? <laughs> that was once, one time related to soup a long time ago. That's, whoa, you know, you drink it, oh my goodness, this tastes amazing. Thank you, Jesus, for taste buds. You know, it just, it changes our mindset. Tunes us in with God. As I said, I feel like I hear God easier. In Acts 13 too, um, the, the elders in the church, they were, it says they were worshipping and uh, worshiping the Lord and fasting. And the Holy Spirit said, while they were fasting, in that fast, they heard God. They heard the Holy Spirit say, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So number one is it, it kills our flesh. We starve our flesh and we feed the spirit. Number two, we grow in prayer. Fasting is not just about what we're not doing but what we are doing, what we're doing instead of the eating and the food prep and everything else. Prayer and fasting go hand in hand and with worship in the New Testament. If you just stop eating, yes, that has certain benefits, as we have discussed. But really, the fasting, Christian fasting, is not about the not eating. It is about the time that's given for God. Be that prayer, worship, reading the Bible, meditating, listening. If you're someone who struggles to engage with God, Maybe you find it difficult to know, what do I pray in the mornings? Or when I get up, what do I do with with Jesus? If you find prayer difficult, I found that fasting really helps bring a fresh desire for these things. Wake up in the morning and go, well, I'm not having breakfast. May as well spend some time with the Lord. Wow, it was really good. (laughs) Who knew? Um, And it's, yeah, just brilliant to change our mindsets. As we fast, we're literally being holy or doing something holy. We are setting ourselves apart from God. Holiness, uh, we've talked about, is this, one of the most common phrases, by the way, in the Bible is, be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy. This becoming holy, ancient Christians use this Greek word, theosis, which literally means becoming like God, God God-likeness. Not in terms of our authority or we should be worshipped or anything like that, but just in our being and who we are. It's actually the end goal of discipleship. 
to be more like Jesus. That's what disciple really means. Holy in the, word, in the, in the New Testament, this set apart is what we are called to be, God has called us to be. In being, it being weird, in fasting, we're being weird. We're going, okay, Jesus, I'm setting this time aside for you. There's nothing holier we could do in saying, Lord, I'm consecrating myself. This time is your time, not me time, God time. There are certain situations that need fasting, or fasting does something to a person's prayer life. Jesus said to his disciples when they tried to cast out a demon, it wouldn't happen. He said, this type only comes out by prayer and fasting. This kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. In Acts 14.23, Paul and Barnabas are appointing elders, and it says, and when they had appointed elders for for, for them in every church with prayer and fasting... They committed them to the Lord uh, to whom they, in whom they had believed. There's something of prayer and fasting that was important in this um, anointing them and calling them and setting them out and setting themselves aside for something. Jesus fasted for 40 days or 40 nights when he was in the wilderness at the start of his ministry. There's something of power that comes with prayer and fasting. This kind only comes out with prayer and fasting. John Knox, who was a key person in the Protestant Reformation, uh, he fasted and prayed so much that Queen Mary said this of him, she feared his prayers more than all of the armies of Scotland. If you need personal revival, all of us, (laughs) Um, if you need to see an oppressive situation changed, if you sense a distance from God, try fasting. It's not some magic bullet that will, some cure-all, and certainly not if done with a religious attitude or anything like that. But there is something important in fasting that God just does something really, truly amazing in us so that he can do more through us. Number three, then, so starving the flesh. Number two, increase our prayer life. Number three, it's linked to arms for the poor. Now, this is something that's not often talked about with fasting. Isaiah 58, verse 6 and 7, um, Isaiah's talking, he's prophesying to Israel. They've just had a fast, um, but God is displeased with their fast. Because despite fasting and doing religious things, there's still so much injustice and unfairness and uh, inequality going on. And uh, Isaiah speaks into this situation and he says, Is this not the kind of fasting that I have chosen, says the Lord, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe him. And not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. There's a kind of fasting that was taken on by the church out of this idea of of solidarity with the poor. And recognizing, okay, I've got less to eat at the moment. Many people in the world have far less to eat than I. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to think of them. But also, I'm going to take the money that I would have spent on food. I'm going to give it to the poor as part of alms. And so I want to encourage us that over this next week, money that we would have spent on food for ourselves. Now, again, there is, no one's going to check this. No one is going to, there's no, God's not going to be displeased with you if you don't do this. Obviously, we're at a time where there's a, it's a pretty cost of living crisis, pretty intense and being felt more and more. If you save some money through this and that blesses you, great. There's no condemnation if you don't do this. But I would encourage you to consider that the money that we don't spend on food, instead we give to the poor, we give away. We send over to Ukraine or whatever you want to do with it. But just say, God, I want to, I want to get this, this kind of fasting that is not the kind of fasting that Israel did that, that required Isaiah to prophesy against them. Say, the kind of fasting I do, 
I want to engage with your heart, and I can't engage with your heart in my fast if I'm not doing your heart, which is a heart for the, those in need. So let's let our fasting draw us closer to the heart of God in action as well as in deed. So what might your fasting look like? Ask God. It's a great starting point. It might be some form of abstinence, great media fasting or, or whatever. I would also encourage you to do some literal food fasting. Now, maybe that's just one meal a day. If you've never fasted before, maybe you just pick, right, tomorrow, first day of the fast, I'm just going to do one meal. Never done it before. Let's see what happens. Great. I'll just, I'll just encourage you, just take one step further than you've been before. Just give God an opportunity. Maybe that's a meal every day for a week. Maybe it's the morning till evening. You only eat in the evening times. Whatever it might be, ask God. Seek God. Ask him. But please give him an opportunity for what he may want to do in the fasting. Remember, there is no legalism. There's no religion here. No one's going to be checking up on you. We're not going to send Shelley around to be like, uh, and just how much did you fast today? And how much money of that did you give to the poor? You know, it's not what we're about. Remember, there's also to be no judgment on another person. The moment we go, well, I'm doing a full fast, <laughs> Daniel fast, pish posh. You know, we look down at us, guess who's got the greater reward? <laughs> Somebody, I remember Kate, she was saying when she was at Bible college, she was drinking hot chocolate in the middle of a fast. And someone came over and like, you're drinking hot chocolate, you sinner, you backslider. Don't you know God's never going to bless your fast now? It was all for nothing. She's like, I just wanted a hot chocolate. I don't what are you doing? So it's okay. There's no judgment whatsoever. We'd be completely missing the fast. We'd have Isaiah knocking at our door if we were doing that, okay? Remember that fasting is not an opportunity for us to show, like I tried to do first time I did fasting, God, our level of self-discipline or our self-control or look how strong my will is. I can fast for 40 days. I don't even need you, God. (laughs) What would we be doing if we were doing that? We need to rely on his grace. It's an opportunity for him to demonstrate his utter provision for us in every way. Drink plenty of water. I know this is really practical, but drink plenty of water. In Exodus 34, 38, uh, God called Moses to fast for 40 days and nights with no food or drink, uh, but that is incredibly graced by God. If you've ever read the book of the heavenly man, Brother Yun, he fasts for 72 days, no food, no water. That is an utter miracle and utterly impossible in human standards. Uh, But unless God is super, super ridiculously clear and like, you know, really communicates this through several people to really, you know that this is what God is saying, please don't do that, (laughs) okay? Drink plenty of water. Plenty of fluids, whatever you want to, whatever you're doing. (coughs) What to expect? You might have some headaches. You might have some caffeine withdrawals. You might have mood swings from sugar withdrawal. Brilliant. Brilliant. What an opportunity to praise God in both the mountains and the valleys, as we sang earlier, but also to recognize how many times do I look for caffeine uh, to keep me going through the day rather than maybe self-discipline of, I should go to bed earlier. Or maybe I need to say no to some stuff or have a rest day or trust God. So brilliant. Thank you, Jesus, for those those headaches. But do what Jesus said. Don't walk around looking miserable. We're to wash our faces and look fresh as a daisy. And uh, and because we're not here to communicate to the world like, hey, check out how fasted I am. Look, look at this waistline. You know, (laughs) that's not what it's about. Um, But of course, actually sharing in this, if you've never fasted before, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying to somebody, I've never done this before. Do you want to do this with me? It's a great thing. We're not like putting a billboard with a picture of our face and go, look at this great faster. That's fine. Just get with two or three people. Do this together. Meet up and pray every day together. Remember, 
if this is you and you feel a sense of, yeah, this would be a great thing to do, also give that money that you're not spending on food away. Please be wise. If you're diabetic or you're pregnant or you're breastfeeding, you might need to talk to a GP about what does this look like to do healthily? Because God wants us to be healthy, right? Our body's a temple of the Holy Spirit. All of this is, is good. Fasting generally, though, is, is healthy. But there we go. Lastly, if you have an eating disorder, if you have a really difficult relationship with food, then I would just ask you, would you come and have a conversation with one of us first? We'd love to pray with you. We want to see that thing broken in your life. But it's important that we do this in a healthy and a right and a God-led way. And if there's any sort of issues where you struggle just hearing this voice of the enemy saying, do that, don't do that, do that. We don't want to be there any confusion in this and to bring any room for any harm. So is that okay? If, you have, if that's an issue, please come. We want to pray with you and see you set free from that. Lastly, maybe take the week a little bit slower. Opportunity for prayer, reflection, meditation. But most importantly, remember, it's not about what we are not eating. It's about what we are feeding on. And we've talked a lot about maybe journal, write down what God is saying to you, spend time with the word, prayer. We've spent a lot of time talking today about personal fasting and in a general sense. And it is my heart that we would all take this on ongoing, not just this week. But we would go, God, is you, are you saying something to me about fasting ongoing? But this week specifically... There are other examples, we don't have time to go in, of God calling a corporate fast. We are going on a corporate fast all together. And the reason is God is calling us to seek him afresh. God says that you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. It's not that God is hiding. He wants us to know him. But there's somewhere where we just, we just have to make a decision. God, just you. Nothing else. Not my stomach. Not Netflix. Just you. And we seek him afresh. Let's, this week, when we've got encounter nights, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, let's come along, be like the prophetess Anna in Luke 2. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Or Pastor Kevin, our Burgess Hill congregation leader, God spoke to him recently about this week through Hosea 10, 12. says, I said, plant the good seeds of righteousness and you'll harvest a crop of love. Plow up the hard ground of your hearts, for now is the time to seek the Lord that he may come. This week, let's make this a time of seeing hardness in the heart broken up so that he may come. Not just for us, not just we have great meetings, not just encounters, but knowing him and his kingdom come in our town as well. Let's just right now, let's just pray and dedicate this to the Lord. Father, we want this time to be your time. Lord, would you speak to us and give us that joy and excitement of, oh, wow, I want to see what happens when I fast. I want to see all that you have got for me and for our church and for our town. Jesus, I want to seek you and find you with my whole heart. Father, would you speak to every one of us about what you're calling us to fast and to abstain from and also what you're calling us to dedicate ourselves to afresh. Lord, I pray that this will be a week where in fasting and praying, we see the this kinds coming out, the stuff that has been stubborn, the stuff that hasn't shifted for a while, in the name of Jesus, I speak a breaking off of it. As we submit ourselves afresh, there is a freedom that comes, a fresh God satisfaction that comes, that gives us a fresh hunger for more of that satisfaction. We would taste and see not how good uh, our, our meal deal is, but we would taste and see how good God is and desire more of him. Jesus, let us seek you afresh. In the name of Jesus and Lord, we pray that as we do, Lord, would you come? In Jesus' name.
If you, I know this has been a really practical message. If you want any more, if you want to talk about this, what should fasting look like for me? I've never done it before. Please, again, come and have a conversation. If you're not a Christian and this sounds crazy and weird, great. Come and have a conversation. Find out what God might want to do through you. Maybe even through some prayer and fasting this week. But let's have an amazing time of seeking God this week. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources from Kingdom Faith and our other audio and video podcasts, please visit www.kingdomfaith.com.